Good morning, church. Truly, what a blessed, blessed assurance we have because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This morning, we're continuing in our series in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. And up to this point, Jesus has tackled teaching practically every area of life to his disciples. And a high standard has been set. And as Jesus is just about to close out his sermon, we're nearing the very end here. We're about to get to some of the most heart-wrenching challenges that Jesus sets before his, his audience, and, and that's going to be covered over the next couple of weeks. But in this passage we're looking at this morning, Jesus sees to it to teach his disciples one last time how to pray. Because he wants to ground in them that prayer is the air they need to breathe for more reasons than they may think. So let's take a look at this. Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 7. And let's read and study this together. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives... He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asked for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything due to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. This is the word of God, amen? Father, we thank you so much for your word. It is a lamp to our feet, so we pray, Holy Spirit, illuminate your word to us this morning. Change us, transform us, convict us, that we would leave here more Christ-like than when we came. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, church, so this should actually be uh, quick and sweet, right? There you have it. Pray, asking, seeking, knocking for whatever you want, and you're guaranteed to receive it, right? Do you believe that? I think not. I hope not. But this passage does get twisted. Prosperity gospel preachers have taken passages like this one out of context and deceived many to believe that God will give us whatever we want. As long as we we ask long enough, we ask with enough faith, we're given a, a heavenly blank check. Where do they get this twisted idea from? By taking something good, something important and rich for our spiritual lives and twisting it. And it's all in the words, ask, seek, knock. Consistently throughout scripture, asking or seeking or knocking in most contexts, the vast majority of the time, those words are used in the context of prayer. In our passage this morning, the words ask, seek, knock are imperatives in the active present tense, meaning the accurate way that we should actually be reading this is keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, conveying this idea of persistence, which itself conveys to us the sense of 
urgency, relentlessness, pleading, and even desperation like a beggar. So put the two together and we have the picture of persistent prayer. And this is what gets abused. I imagine if Jesus were preaching this in our modern day context, this would be one of those moments in the Sermon on the Mount that he just as well could add the saying, you've heard that it's been said, but I tell you. I imagine Jesus, the way that he countered the Pharisees then, countering today's prosperity gospel preachers now, and teaching us disciples saying, you've heard that it's been said, live your best life now. Just ask for it, seek for it, knock for it, and and I'll give it to you. You've heard that it's been said, I want you to be healthy and, and wealthy. Just pray for it long enough and with enough faith and I'll give it to you. You've heard that it's been said, I just want to see you happy with lots of stuff. Your material success is how they will know that you're my disciples. So just pray and pray and pray and and do it with faith and, and God will just open his hand to you. Church, you know that kind of teaching is out there. But hear Jesus say now, you've heard that it's been said, but I tell you, None of that is God's primary focus for your life. And none of that is why I emphasize be people of prayer. So what does Jesus actually say about persistent prayer and the guarantee of receiving what we ask for? He does make a promise here. Ask, seek, knock. You will receive. You will find. It will be opened. These are promises from God, and God is not a man that he should lie. Jesus is not a liar. So what is the truth being taught here? Quickly surveying the Gospels to get to the heart of the promises of Jesus through prayer, there is a condition that must be met for the promise to be fulfilled every time. The context of the promise to receive whatever we ask for is always in relation to the work of God. Christ's promise is not that we have been given a blank check through prayer as though God were a genie in a bottle. God is not in the business of of, of giving up his sovereignty to us. God is not a marionette that we can just dangle around to to do a little dance as we pray and he's just dancing around, dropping on us whatever we, we ask of him because we've prayed for it. On the contrary, the promise is that we'll receive what we ask for when we ask for what is in alignment with the will of God. So yes, the idea here is persistent prayer does do something. It does open something up to us in the spiritual. There is a promise for us through this kind of prayer life. The promise pertains to the impossible becoming possible through prayer. This exchange of the impossible to the, to the possible through prayer is this. Disciples of Jesus pray with persistence and hot pursuit of living kingdom focused. 
In his sermon, Jesus flipped the teaching and the lifestyle of the Pharisees on its head. His disciples have now been shown the true standard of God in practically all spheres of life. There's a a very high standard to truly meet God's righteousness. And if you'll remember, the verse that anchors this entire Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5.20. Unless your righteousness is greater than that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' teaching here is game-changing. What the people have been taught and the rules they lived by under Pharisaical rule has now been flipped on its head. And if one has been paying attention to the standard that Jesus has been, been setting, the only conclusion that you could come to is that's an impossibility. No one can possibly meet that standard. Jesus, therefore, how can anyone have a righteousness greater than that of the Pharisees and enter the kingdom of heaven? In this passage, Jesus anticipates the overwhelming emotion of his disciples regarding the standard that he's been setting. Everything in the Beatitudes, being salt and light, controlling anger and lust, loving our enemies, giving to the needy, everything outlined in the Lord's Prayer, property handling material wealth, dealing with anxiety and and, and having a critical judgmental spirit. This is all about Focused living God's way. Kingdom focused living. All of it. And the disciples are thinking, Jesus, surely this is impossibly unattainable. And in and of ourselves, this is absolutely an impossibility. So Jesus, anticipating this, says, ask, seek, knock. For the kind of kingdom living focus enabling that you need and it will be made possible for you. Disciples of Jesus pray with persistency to experience the reality of flourishing kingdom living on earth. All of this is made possible to come to fruition in the life of disciples when we pray with persistency, for our lives shall be marked and propelled by persistent prayer. And let's make some things even more clear for us. Persistence is not an attempt to wear God down in giving us our desires. Rather, persistence is God's way of training our hearts towards His desires. Sincere prayer is what trains our hearts to depend on God for agreeing with his desires. And unselfish prayer is what trains our hearts in manifesting the fruit of God's desires. And diligent prayer is what trains our hearts to keep the main thing the main thing, to keep our priorities in check, to crowd out the the noise of this world, to not waste our breath in prayer on what is unimportant and and, and trivial distractions of this world. Persistence changes us. Persistence moves us closer to God. Persistence lines us up with his will moment by moment. Persistence in prayer reflects the utter importance we put on seeking kingdom living And in that is a good measuring tool for how much we want to see kingdom living fulfilled in our lives. 
to the measure of how important our request is, is the measure of how committed we are to praying for it. So why don't we pray persistently as we should to see God open the doors of kingdom living power to us? Why don't we prioritize what is ultimate priority? Maybe our desires are more important to us than God's, so we don't give the time of day to prayer, let alone persistent prayer. We're too busy. We're too occupied with more important affairs. When you ask somebody how they're doing, the number two answers are, at least in our Canadian cultural context, good, even if they're not doing well at all. I'm good. And busy. Busy, 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 busy. Like seriously, if we were playing Family Feud, the top two answers that would be up on that board, if we were to ask the question, how do people respond when you ask, how are you doing? Number one, number two, ding, good, ding, busy, 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 busy. But we know that busy, busy people still make time for the things that they love when they pop up on the spot, right? Well, somehow we're not as busy as we thought because somehow we're, we're able to make room for that one more thing. Sometimes we'll even cancel out on something or someone that's over here because this thing pops up that we're actually more excited about, so we'll kick this right out, out of here, and we'll put this on, right? It's what we do. We make room for the things that excite us. Anybody ever met someone that couldn't be enticed to partake of something really important to them, even though they were initially busy, busy, busy? Ever met someone not willing to make room on their full plate for something that gets them excited? I haven't. I don't believe this person exists. Hey, Bob, how you doing? Good. Busy, busy, busy. My plate is full. I can't put another thing on it. Oh, that's too bad because... I've got Jay's Yankees tickets. I was going to invite you to come. We're right down on the baseline. Oh, Yankees, you say? I'm in. Funny how we're not so busy anymore for what's important to us. But prayer? Sometimes we treat it like we can take it or leave it. Just don't see it as important as we should. We don't put the emphasis on it like Christ does. What Jesus desires for us is that we would be persistent in asking, seeking, knocking, calling on the name of the Lord. Because persistent prayer is the greatest tool for, for measuring, gauging the priorities of our lives, which should be seeing kingdom living victories over sin in our lives and everything else. It's detailed in the Sermon on the Mount. I submit to you that we haven't truly begun to care about the things of God and our submission to them until we have begun persisting in prayer for them. That's why the most dangerous words that can come out of the mouth of a Christian is, I don't have time to pray. I'm not making it a priority. And then for the times when we finally do get around to praying, understand the content of our prayer matters. What we ask for matters. What we focus on matters. What we say matters. The content matters. Prayer is not a willy-nilly act. It's sacred. The contents of our prayers are a good gauge of understanding what really matters to us. 
I saw this with one of my sons recently. Back in June, it was leading up to my son Ethan's birthday. I was reading the Bible with, with him and Micah before bed, and it came time to pray. And I always asked him, okay, what can we be praying for? And Ethan looked up at me, and he said, Daddy, can you pray for my sticker? <laughs> I looked down at him, and I said, sticker? You want me to pray for, for a sticker? And he said, yeah, Daddy, can you pray for my sticker for my birthday? And now, this kid could have asked for anything in the world. So you want me to pray for a sticker for your birthday? I was like, okay, that helps the bank account. Absolutely. Right? Let's do that. But this request for a sticker, it went on for a couple of days. And of course, Rebecca and I got him a sticker for his birthday. But I came to find out through talking with Rebecca where this request came from. Turns out that she had taken him to the doctor for his three-year-old shots recently. And he got some stickers from the doctor for his bravery. And him being the nice, kind, younger brother that he was, he asked the doctor for some extra stickers for his older brother. What's the doctor going to say? No? Right? So the doctor gives him some extra stickers. He brings them home. He gives the stickers to Micah. He learned the lesson of how to treat your stickers properly. He wasn't quite peeling them off properly and all of that, and his got all messed up. And then he sees his older brother perfectly peel his stickers off, run downstairs for our crawl space, and put them nice and neat all over his plasma car like decals on a NASCAR or something. So he's looking at this, and now he's empty-handed with no stickers, and he sees his older brother's NASCAR plasma car in our crawl space, and obviously he wants stickers. He wants more stickers. So it created this opportunity for him to, to pray and ask for stickers. And I'll tell you, it was funny and it was, it was cute the first time that Ethan asked me to pray, especially because I didn't have the background story, but it was no joke to Ethan. He was dead serious about those stickers. Every single day for that week, without fail, he either asked me to pray for those stickers or he went directly to God for those stickers. <laughs> It was the only thing in the world that mattered to him was pleading for those stickers. The content of his prayer revealed the priority of his heart. Likewise, for disciples of Jesus, the content of our prayer reveals the priority of our hearts. The content of our prayers are a good gauge of understanding what really matters to us. So I ask you, what really matters to you? How often are you asking the Lord for the material of this world versus pleading with him for your sanctification? The health of your soul. The health of your relationship with Christ. The victory of kingdom living in the here and now. What we ask for is the difference maker of seeing the true value of prayer. The importance of prayer. The joy of prayer. Or frustration in prayer discouragement through prayer, the, the feeling of, of, of drag in prayer, all leading to an attitude that I can, I can go a day without it. James 4, 2-3 says, You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So many of us don't ask at all, or when we do ask, the content is selfish. We wonder why God is not giving us a response. 
Why don't we pray persistently? Maybe part of the problem lies in the many misconceptions of the term persistent prayer. We think we don't have the time, we don't have the energy, we don't have the words, we think we need to quit our jobs and spend all of our time in prayer, we think we need to quit on our social lives, cut ourselves off completely from from the world, we think we need to physically drop to our knees on the spot anytime an incident arises that needs prayer. Well, of course, how do you do that in the public square or in the marketplace on a day-to-day basis? The list of misconceptions is long. And for some, the thought of what praying persistently looks like in practice is so tiring that it actually deters people from trying in the first place. The reality is, persistence in prayer is simply having a running conversation with God, no matter what other business is at hand. And this is how disciples of Jesus will flourish in the land as the exiles we are. When Jesus calls us to follow him, what he means is, examine my life and copy it. Jesus was in constant communion with his father. He only said what he heard the father say. He only did what he saw the father do. That kind of insight comes through continual communion with the father through prayer. And yet we see in the Gospels that Jesus was always on the move. There was was always work to be done. He was always interacting with people. He was socially engaged. So how do we reconcile the two together? Praying persistently, always being in the mode and mindset of prayer, and yet fulfilling our daily activities responsibly, like like raising our kids or, 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 or sticking to our jobs and so on. A shift in mindset needs to happen. A shift in view of what persistent prayer really is, which is simply, like literally simply, a running conversation with God. We see this kind of thing in our, in our, in our marriages and, and other significant relationships. Texting throughout the day, checking in with each other throughout the day checking in on how things are going, making plans, or, or just updating on different things that come up throughout the day, right? We're keeping in touch throughout the day. We're just, we're just picking up where the conversation left off, like no time has even passed. We have this constant access to the one that we love, texting, texting all day. This is what persistent prayer looks like with God. The content may be different, and of course the urgency will be, but the strategy is the same. I love Charles Spurgeon's thought on this. He said, I rarely pray longer than five minutes, but I rarely go longer than five minutes without praying. What an incredible view on prayer. If we are not praying sincerely, if we are not praying diligently, if we are not persistently seeking the Father through prayer, we should not expect to flourish in our spiritual lives. If someone asks us, followers of Christ, on the other hand, how we live this life, how do we stay strong through all the challenges, how we stay level-headed on this, this up-and-down roller coaster of, of life, there are so many answers that we can give, long-winded answers, albeit. But there are two words that can summarize what a thousand try to explain. 
We pray. You see, as a child of God, we get special privileges. 24-hour access. We're put on the most important VIP list. I mean, we have direct access to the Lord God Almighty, the one we were just singing our, 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 our praises to, our creator, our savior. There's no lineup to meet with him. There's no security checkpoint that we need to pass. There's no waiting list of response, like, oh, you're number 1,000 on on, down there, so I'll get to you in a minute. We constantly have 24-hour direct, complete, exclusive access to our king in your cubicle at work, in the checkout aisle at the grocery store, in your car on the 401, in the middle of meeting with your boss, or in the middle of a lively conversation with your spouse. In all these situations and more, we can be in prayer and no one else would even know it. Persistence in prayer is imploring the assistance of God in our affairs as they happen rather than waiting for everything to fall apart around us, looking back with regret and thinking, I wish... I had prayed. Maybe I wouldn't have said what I said. Maybe I wouldn't have did what I did. I'll tell you, from experience, living the hindsight life is risky business. So get in front of it through persistent prayer. Listen to this quote reflecting on the life of Brother Lawrence, not a brother here at Calvary. This is a man from the 1600s. He's still known to this day among Christians for the way he focused on intimacy with God. Quote, the set times of prayer were no different for him than other times. He secluded himself to pray according to the direction of his superior, namely God. But he did not need such solitude, nor did he ask for it. Even the busiest work did not distract him from his communion with God. Our brains have that capacity. Think of all the other kinds of multitasking we do. You mean we can't pray while we're typing away? Sometimes Rebecca and I are watching Murdoch Mysteries at night, and I do find myself on my phone. I, and, and from like scene one, I'm like, Rebecca, that's the murderer. That's the guy, him right there. And I'm like still on my phone searching for something in Costco or whatever it is. We're multitaskers. This privilege of prayer, this is not something anyone else gets. Non-believers don't get this kind of access because they don't have the right credentials, namely Christ. Maybe this is why many Christians aren't devoted to prayer in the first place. They take this kind of access for granted. Oh, you know, God will be there anyways when I'm ready. A week from now, a month from now, a year from now, so I could just put him off over here. What difference does it make? He'll be there whenever I'm ready. No, Jesus says constant communication with the Father keeps us in tune with his heart moment by moment. And when temptation arises, even maybe temptation moment by moment, it gets demolished because we're always at the ready depending on God for victory over sin and kingdom living focus through persistent prayer. 
And this is one of the highest honors that we have as Christ followers. Examine Christ's life and copy it. And we can be confident that God is willing to respond and willing to give us this good gift of victorious living when we pray. This is the, 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 the point of the illustration that Jesus makes in verses 9 to 11. Disciples of Jesus pray with persistence to the Father with confidence, trusting he is willing to respond and give us good gifts. Those good gifts being kingdom tools for kingdom living. Look back at our passage again. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus stresses the goodness of the Father in this, in this section and calls us to have complete confidence in his good-giving nature and his willingness to respond to us upon hearing our prayers. In comparison to earthly fathers, God's goodness is greater. So be confident, unshakably grounded in confidence in God's good nature. From his good nature come the willingness to respond to our prayers and give us what we need. And be confident that God isn't playing mind games with us. He's not trying to play tricks on us. You see, earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to their children. Just imagine you in your own homes on it's Christmas morning or there's a birthday in the family or even just simply a surprise. Like just imagine that moment. You know how to give good gifts to your kids. You know how to do this. I'm sure you can. And on top of that, if your kid comes to you asking you for something that you really, they really need, they really need this thing. You don't mess with them. You don't mess with their head. You don't play tricks on them by giving them something else that is not useful. They're asking for this, and you're like, oh, well, how about this? Dad, I'm really thirsty. I think I'm dehydrating. Oh, dehydrating, you say? That's too bad. Well, here's a bag of salt. Now scram. We don't do that. And at the very least, you don't ignore them. And we're evil fathers. Any perfect dads in here? No, there's a reason why we don't give that reward out on Father's Day, right? The perfect dad. We're imperfect. We're evil. And Jesus wasn't being arbitrary in the selection of those gifts by the way he was using bread and fish in comparison to a stone and a snake. He means to communicate that earthly fathers, though evil, still provide sustenance, like bread and fish, the necessities of life for their children. We gladly do this for our kids to see them flourish, 
Though evil, we still have the heart and mentality to meet our children's needs appropriately. How much more should this be our perspective of our perfect and good Father in heaven? If we have such a confidence in our earthly fathers to meet our need, how much more confident should we be in our heavenly Father? The one who is perfectly good. The one who is able to meet all of our needs, mind, body, and soul. This is crucial. Because if you don't have confidence in the one you're asking, you probably won't bother asking. I know well of a father-son relationship where the father's first answer was always no. His first response was always no. It didn't matter what the son was coming to him asking. It did not matter. The first response was always, always, always no. Sometimes the, the son would persist. He would try to explain. He would try to reason. He would try to share the logic. Sometimes the father would, would, would bend and, and give in and, 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 and give what he needed. But there did come a day where the son just stopped asking. He lost confidence. He didn't see the point anymore. And maybe that's your story too. And maybe you're projecting that on our Heavenly Father. Listen, that is not who God is or how God operates. That is not the heart of God as Christ is revealing him to us in the word, which is true. God loves to give good things to those who ask him. That is the heart of God. When you go to the Father to ask, seek, knock for help over the right things, God delights in our asking and our seeking and our knocking. He delights to open that door and pour out on us what we need because God delights in our flourishing and kingdom living on earth. He is so greatly glorified in that, and that's how we know that we're Christ's disciples. Be confident in God's good nature. Be confident that God gives us what is good for us. Sometimes we lose confidence because what we're asking for is somewhere over here in our thoughts, in the need that God wants to meet is over here in our hearts. When we get past our perceived need and come in line with our real, true need as God sees it, and we're seeing through his eyes, his heart, when we recognize the deep goodness of God and acknowledge it and rejoice over the truth that God gives us only that which is good and perfect for us according to his will. When we see that, we'll see that God never, ever fails to meet our need or fulfill his promise through persistent prayer. Persistence and confidence go hand in hand because they together are a de declaration that God is good and God is trustworthy. When we come persistently seeking for help for our, our marriages or struggling to forgive or lust, 
or raising our kids or whatever it is to help us live like the children of God that we are in this kingdom on earth, representing the king of kings. When we come persistently seeking for, for help for kingdom living, we can trust that God will respond and God will give us what we need, what is good for us, the good gifts, the tools for kingdom living. Quickly look at how Matthew closes out this section in verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. This is known as a golden rule. You may know this as a golden rule. This was actually a, a common philosophy in ancient Near East, but it was always told in the negative structure. It was, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. It was always, always, always framed and structured in the negative until Jesus came on the scene and Jesus, like he's been doing with everything else in his Sermon on the Mount, he changes it and he's the first one to actually structure this in the positive. Jesus inserts the golden rule at this point in time in his sermon as a summary encompassing everything that he had taught, reminding his disciples by speaking again of the law and the prophets. It ties this section back to Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. Again, this is the anchor for the series. Jesus is tying it all together. This golden rule, as we've, we've come to, to, to term it, is all about kingdom living, the righteousness displayed through followers of Christ. Of course, our righteousness is an imputed righteousness, yes, but a righteousness that is manifested through a lifestyle of persistent prayer. So though summarizing the, the content of the whole of the Sermon on the Mount, there is an application that can be applied to our passage of study this morning. You see, sometimes we ask of others what we wouldn't even consider giving up to others if they asked the same of us. We tend to expect more generosity from others towards us than we are willing to give them. We need a mind shift again, a heart shift. What we ask of others, what we urge of them, what we plead for, what we demand, what we're, 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 we're begging from others in desperation, we must be willing to give the same to others when it's asked of us. If you are not willing to give a good thing, a good gift to another, you shouldn't be asking of that for yourself. And again, these gifts we're talking about are the gifts that help us flourish in the kingdom of God on earth. As disciples, because we ask, seek, knock for good gifts from God and receive them as promised, we must go about our lives with thankfulness and showing generosity to others who ask, seek, knock of us. This simple rule perfectly summarizes kingdom living. Father, we thank you for your word again. Your word is true. 
We thank you we know the truth, Jesus himself. You've brought us in rela- into relationship with him through the cross. And God, we thank you that you have given us everything that we need for life and godliness and persistent prayers at that top of the list. Help us, God, to ask, to seek, to knock for all the things that truly matter, that we would come in line with your will, that we would not be discouraged in this life thinking we can never get over that temptation. We can never get over that unforgiveness. We can never get over that thing that happened in our, in our, in our marriages or, or whatever it is. But help us to see that when we come to you persistently praying for the tools of the kingdom, you gladly give them to us. I pray that this would be the confidence of our hearts, moment by moment, day by day. And that God, you will be glorified. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit in us who helps us to pray, who prays for us, that leaves us without excuse. Help us with a mind shift. Help us with a heart shift. And be glorified as your children on earth rise up more and more, living kingdom focused with the tools that you give us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Disciples of Jesus exhibit a persistence in their prayer life that reflects the priority they have placed on living kingdom focused. Making the business of God a first priority in all spheres of life and confidently trusting in the goodness of the Father to respond and provide perfectly for that kind of living. There are myriad examples of people in the scriptures who are flourishing during their time period, good times and hard times. People in all sorts of positions, some high up royal officials and others low down and persecuted, but they both have one thing in common. They're flourishing in their situations. Are they heroes? Some think so. I prefer to believe they're simple, ordinary men and women like you and me that depended on God through persistent prayer and received the promises of God for kingdom-focused living, no matter what they faced. Let that be our example. Persistent prayer for kingdom living and kingdom living you shall see. God bless you all. If you want to talk or you need prayer, we'll have some pastors down here at the front. Have a God-blessed day, everybody.